Who are the Mountain Meisters? Committing to the goal and galvanizing you and your team behind that one single focus. Being at peace with that fear and being okay with it. You gain a real appreciation for your life and for what you have. Learn about their extreme lives on rock, snow, and ice five days a week with your hosts, Russell Wilcox and Ben Shank. Today on Mountain Meister, we say hello to Alexi Masinski. Hey, all, it's Ben. Hey, it's Russell. Alexi grew up in Idaho and currently resides in Park City, Utah. A 19-year-old slope-style skier, Alexi joined U.S. free skiing last year and put together a serious run for this year's Olympics in Sochi before tearing her ACL. She is now pushing herself to become the best athlete and skier that she possibly can and not allowing recent injuries to hold her back. So, Alexi, I grew up in North Conway, New Hampshire. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but it's a huge ski capital of the Northeast. And we were very focused on slalom racing. I didn't even realize there were programs for freestyle skiing. And I, I'm not even sure if there were. How did you personally get into freestyle skiing? Yeah, so when I was six years old was when I first started skiing. And by the time I was 15, I was sort of looking for something new and challenging. And that's when I first went into the terrain park and started hitting the jumps and the rails. And I fell in love with the sport pretty quickly just because it had endless possibilities. I made some friends and started competing. And evidently, I wasn't too bad at what I was doing because in a couple years, I got invited to one of the U.S. ski teams slope style camps and so that's sort of how I got to be involved they actually invited me that year to join the first ever U.S. free skiing rookie slope style team and that's when the doors really really opened for me because I realized that I could take my skiing to the next level at that point and skiing was what I love to do and it's what I love most and so that summer I packed up my life and sort of just moved right down to Utah and uh, that was my senior year in high school so it was a big step for me but uh, it's definitely what I wanted to do and so I moved in with a host family actually and finished up school at the the U.S. Ski Team Academy, which was really awesome because education is always something that has been very important to me as well as athletics. And that was definitely the greatest year of my life. And I had a really good season. And then coming into this season, it was an Olympic year and I had this goal of making it to Sochi. And unfortunately, that's when I got hurt and put me out for the rest of the season. Yeah, we'll get into uh, your injury, but let's just kind of back up a little to what it was like to be living in a ski academy. Yeah, and living with a host family. Senior year in high school, you're not that that old. Oh, no. It was definitely a big step for me because I hadn't met the family at all before I moved down there. So it's sort of like I just packed up, drove down with my family, met these new people, and that was it. My parents dropped me off. So Hmm. it was a little intimidating at first, but going to the academy was definitely one of the funnest things I've ever done. And just being in Park City Every skier's dream town, you know, great resorts and other off-the-hill activities to help with skiing. Yeah, they don't call it Park City for nothing, I guess. That place is awesome (laughs) for exactly what you want to do. And uh, what did your parents think of you deciding to take this as your first step? My mom was definitely very supportive. She has surprisingly always been the one that has been like, yeah, like you have this opportunity. This is what you like doing. If you want it, go for it and we'll help you out however we can. And I'm really grateful for that. 
My dad's always been really behind me too, but I sort of noticed he was sort of like, oh, like I wasn't expecting you to move out this year. It was sort of a really quick thing that happened and I don't think he was quite ready for it yet, but they both know that this is what I love doing and they're very supportive and the main thing is education along with it. And so as long as I stay up with that, they'll help me out in whatever way they can when I'm skiing. Yeah, but you didn't tell us about this academy, and I saw that your graduating class had an average GPA of 4.15. <laughs> Is that true? Uh, yeah, our graduating class was only four people, wow. but uh, we we're all really good students. Russell, so, what was your GPA in high school? I, uh, we didn't really do GPA in high school. Did you go to high school? <laughs> well, you know, I just kind of snuck into college. Let's just not talk about that, but... <laughs> Did you only have classes with these four people? No, that was just our graduating class. There was probably around 15 people in the whole academy, but um, it's a little bigger now. When I went to it, it was the first year that it ever been up and running, so there weren't that many people. All of us were in class together in the fall and in the spring mostly, and then during the winter season, there was hardly anyone around because we were all traveling, skiing, and training. Where are you traveling? Oh, all over the place. We go to training camps like in Mammoth Lakes, California, which is always really fun. And then competitions can be, you know, here in the Northwest. I've been to some over on the East Coast, up in Whistler, Canada. Two years ago, I went to three different countries in Europe, which was really cool because I'd never been over there before and got to see some really crazy places and see some really crazy mountains. It's been a really fun experience. Yeah, I saw that you won a competition at my home mountain, Seven Springs. Congratulations on that. How did you like Seven Springs? It was definitely a lot different from anything that I'd ever skied. Yeah, you could be you could be honest. <laughs> it's I was just surprised at how small everything was. So anyway, you're doing competitions in Italy. You're doing competitions in Seven Springs. I mean, you've been rising up the ranks really fast recently, right? I mean, you start doing this thing at 16, and now at 19, you're competing for Sochi. This must be a pretty exciting time for you. Oh, yeah, it's definitely been a crazy journey. You know, I never thought I could take my skiing this far, but when I got invited to be on the U.S. team, that's sort of when I realized this is the extra step, the extra help that I needed to get to the next level. And so last year was really my first year competing in top-level events against the pros and trying to get as big as I could. It was a really crazy experience. Is being a professional skier 100% full-time job, or is there anything else you do Oh, yeah. When we're not skiing, we're usually in the gym or in the off season. We do a lot of trampolining and water ramping, which is a plastic turf ramp that you can ski down into a pool. That way you can practice doing your tricks with your skis on before you take them to snow. We do a lot of dry land training, too. A lot of our listeners, I'm sure, maybe have never even gone off of a jump, let alone these huge tabletops that you're going off of. First of all, describe what it feels like to become airborne. You've got to be addicted to that feeling. Oh, yeah. I'm definitely an adrenaline junkie, and hitting a 70-foot jump is one of the coolest feelings, and especially when you're adding tricks in there and grabs, and when you land that, it's pretty much the coolest feeling ever. That's, I guess, why I love it. And I think maybe that might scare a lot of people, but that's what drives us to do what we do. Now, how long are you actually in the air for? I'd say three or four seconds, probably. And does it feel like you're in the air for longer than you actually are? It definitely depends on how the jump is built. Yeah, if you've got a 
big poppy floaty jump. You feel like you're floating there for a while. Time sort of slows down. When you're taking off the jump, you see everything and you're doing your trick and you're spotting and then you come down to the landing and we're really focused and know every step of our trick. So it really goes into slow motion when you're in the air. Do you have a lot of adrenaline when you're going to hit these jumps or is it you have so much muscle memory and it's no big deal? Oh, I totally get adrenaline, especially when I'm doing something new. I guess there's times when I don't have adrenaline and I'm dropping into the jump and I'm like, uh, this feels weird. I'm so relaxed. But Mm. I guess that's (laughs) sort of good because I've done it so much. How do you go about trying a new trick? You mentioned the water ramps and everything, but at some point you've got to take it to the snow and it seems like there's so much that can go wrong. Yeah, well, committing is definitely a huge part of it, but we work up to the new tricks that we're doing, you know. I'm not going to go out there and do a 360 and then the next day go out and try a double flip. Mm -hmm. You take it slowly, trick by trick, and you sort of build on that. After a while, you just have such great air awareness from skiing and trampolining and also water ramping that even if you sort of mess up, you're spotting around in the air. You know where you are and you can make it so that you at least don't land on your head or Mm -hmm. can pull it around in some way. If you're really pushing yourself and trying a new trick and you tried it 10 times, how many times do you think you would successfully land the trick? Uh, I mean, it definitely depends on the difficulty of a trick, but uh, I don't know. Maybe crash like two times. Two times. Wow. Okay. okay. So 80%. Yeah. If you're right 80% of the time in this world, normally you're doing good things. <laughs> Especially in the stock market. I right. Mean, stock I f- market. <laughs> weather. Yeah. I feel like if you're crashing more than that, then maybe you're not ready to be doing that trick yet. Okay. You should take a step back. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Because you'll get hurt. <laughs> so do you have a go-to trick? What's your favorite trick? Um, My favorite trick would probably be a cork seven which is two spins and going off axis. Okay, off axis. Yeah, I think I understand that based on the world's axis, right? But if you're yeah, off so axis, you're, you're not you're straight up not and down. You're not straight up and down. Uh-huh. Yeah, so it's, hard, it's tough for our listeners to really visualize this. How much do you think about how crazy it is to be competing with some of the other top-notch athletes in the world? Oh, it's really awesome. Especially the first year that I started competing in bigger events. It's like, wow, I'm competing with these girls that I always watch on TV or online and wanted to be like them. And now I'm competing against them. And now most of them are my friends. And it's just really crazy to be at this level now because I never dreamed that I could take it this far. So Ben and I are pretty new in this podcasting and it's been going really well. But at the beginning, it was really hard for us to visualize ourselves being one of the top podcasts. Do you ever feel like (laughs) do you ever feel like there's this imposter syndrome where you just say there's no way I could be the number one freestyle skier in the world? Or are you very confident that you will be someday? I mean, that's the ultimate goal, you know. I feel like athletes at our level are always trying to take it as far as they can. So obviously, that's my ultimate goal, but I'm not there yet. So I also have doubt. What if I don't take it as far as I want to? I just have to remember why I do it. And it's because I love it and because I'm passionate about it. And I know if I do that and I ski as much as possible that, you know, I made it this far, who knows where I can take it. Yeah, definitely. And a big part of your sport is the competitions. And there's this whole scoring criteria, I'm sure, about people hitting the jumps and doing certain spins. How much do you actually focus on that scoring criteria and try to base your tricks off of that? That's a good question. 
I guess when I get to a slope course, I first check it out. And as I get more comfortable with it, I just plan out what I can do with my bag of tricks that will score the best on a certain course. Because with slope style, every course is different. And I think that's what makes our sport so cool. But it also makes it very challenging because when you show up, you're not doing the same thing you've always practiced. I just I just go out there and do my personal best because I know that's all that I can do. Sometimes when I'm thinking about this, I like to think about it with other sports in mind. And so I'm picturing this football quarterback watching tapes of other defenses saying, okay, if they're going to do this, then I'm going to have to throw this at them. Do you ever think about who's in the competition and what level you need to compete at to make sure that you're one of the top people? Surprisingly not. I feel like with our sport, your bag of tricks is all that you can do. And you just got to go with what you know and what you can land the best, the cleanest. And I guess there is some strategy when it comes to who your competition is and how many people they're taking to finals. You might back off during qualifiers. And then once you make finals, step up your run and do a bigger trick. But for the most part, everyone's got their stock tricks and they show up and put down the best run that they can. Yeah, that's interesting what you say about the strategy. And in most sports, and I guess in life in general, whether it's academia or athletics, when you surround yourself with this greater talent, you improve and you prosper at a faster rate. How do you make the decision when you say, I really need to push myself and try something new when you know that that alone could be risking injury? Um, Usually in a slope course, you have two runs. So say you're in finals and you stomp your first run and maybe on the last jump you did a 720 and the competition is high and there are a lot of good girls there and, you know, maybe you decide to throw down a nine and mm -hmm. maybe that's not your best trick. Maybe you've only tried it a couple times, but I guess that's sort of when strategy can play in and how you can push yourself. But what we do is also extremely dangerous and there's only so much you can do to pull something out of your rear end when you're in competition yeah fortunately it's really difficult for russell and i to get injured podcasting so, <laughs> so we don't have too much to worry about as far as improving is concerned but seriously it, it has to be difficult knowing that the same activity which makes you better can also prevent you from continuing yeah, it's, it's a hard concept. I mean, when do you know when to push it or when to back down? Is this one competition worth getting hurt and potentially putting me out for the next competition or two or even a season? So you sort of got to play it smart. You actually did recently get injured. How did you get injured? Coming into the season, I wanted to make the Olympics, and the first uh, competition was the Winter Dew Tour, and that was pretty exciting because it was my first time ever competing in that, and the pressure sort of got to me, and I didn't do so well, but I did better in the second qualifying event, still not as well as I wanted to, and then by the third event, I felt like, you know, I sort of had my mojo back, I was skiing a lot better than I had previously in the season, but unfortunately, during practice right before for qualifiers on competition day, I came up short on one of the jumps, causing me to blow my knee. So that was really devastating. But uh, as you can probably tell, after flying, you know, 50 or so feet to flat ground, your body isn't going to withstand that very well. What's the recovery process been like since? 
The first few weeks were definitely the hardest. This whole process has been very mentally challenging for me. It was really hard at first because there I was sitting in rehab every day when all my friends were out skiing and competing in the last Olympic qualifiers. And, you know, I watched the team be named and watched everyone to go to Sochi. So that was really tough. But on the other hand, it was also really cool to see all these people I knew and all my friends going to the Olympics and supporting our country and being able to show the world what our sport is because this was the first year that free skiing has been in the Olympics. So it was a little bittersweet, but uh, I'm just glad that I'm on the road to recovery now and I'm looking forward to getting back on my skis. Yeah, it seems like you're on the road to recovery, both physically and mentally. What mindset do you need to have in order to come back from an injury like that? Yeah, it definitely takes a lot of mental skills, and I'm definitely still learning how to deal with that, but you just got to stay positive and focus on what you're doing day to day and try not to look too far into the future because I feel like that's what will easily get you down. You just want to ski. You just want to be back out there. It can get sort of depressing sometimes when you do that, so I just try to focus on what I'm doing that day in my rehab and in the gym and focusing on getting stronger so that when I do come back, I can be a stronger skier than ever. Do you think your outlook on freestyle skiing has changed since getting injured? I definitely feel like when I get back on snow that I will be slightly more cautious, but I've been doing this for so many years and it's what I love that I don't think it'll ever stop me from doing it. But now that I have had a serious injury, it'll definitely make me think twice before or I do something new or just be a little bit more careful when I'm out there because I know that getting hurt is not worth that one run or that one trick. So Alexi, I'm going to change the pace a little bit to something that we like to ask a lot of our interviewees, and that is when you look at the problems that we see in sports today, there are a lot of controversial issues, you know, like the steroid issue in baseball and then the helmet issue in football. Are there any controversial issues or challenges that you face in freestyle skiing? One thing that I think affects our sport a lot is the climate change. Like I've noticed the last couple of years, the weather's been a lot warmer and it takes a lot of snow to build a slope course. And I think that really affects our sport. And also the resorts can't stay open as long because they don't have enough snow and just the whole winter community. There's a cool organization called POW, which stands for Protect Our Winters. They educate people on climate change and how to save our sport. What could people actually do other than educate themselves on climate change? I haven't actually been able to really take part in this issue yet, but now that I have more time on my hands, I'm hoping to learn a little bit more about it myself and maybe be able to help out. But uh, protectourwinters.org is like a really great place for people to learn more about it and uh, learn what they can do to help the climate change. It's definitely something we'll put on our website and we'll have links and other resources on ways that you can help out. Another thing we wanted to talk about was your sponsorships. And we know that you're sponsored by Faction Skis. How does that relationship really come about? Yeah, I mean, you got to be like marketable and... uh that's hard to do when you're first starting out, maybe if you're not at the top level yet. Sort of how I got um, came about Faction Skis was back in Idaho. I started getting some skis from them from a local shop, and as I did better and better, you know, they started offering me more and more. And then after I got on the U.S. team um, and started competing in these bigger events, 
events. Like I got a contract from them and uh, they're just a really great company to be able to work with. I feel like they really want to help me in any way they can. And I feel like I am included in some of the things that they do, which is really cool. I understand what people look for in some types of skis. Like in racing, you want a stiff ski, sharp edges. Backcountry, you want a fat ski to sit above the powder. What makes a good park ski? Everyone has their personal preference. You know, some are flexier, some are stiffer. I personally like a stiffer ski for when I'm hitting big jumps. Um, I like it for uh, good solid landings and uh, longer ski for also that same reason and uh you know a park ski has the tip and the tail are turned up so you can ski forward and backwards and also you mount your bindings right in the middle so that uh you have an even amount of ski on each side that makes it good for tricks too and alexi your sponsor faction is offering our listeners an incredible deal and that is an additional 10 percent off of skis at their website, factionskis.com. When you go to checkout, type in the code MEISTER and you will receive this additional 10%. And I think that's all we have for you today, Lexi. Russell, do you have any more questions? Oh, are we calling her Lexi now? Are we friends? Lexi, yes, <laughs> right? Well, apparently we're good friends now, so you can call me Lexi. Excellent. All right, well, thank you so much for being on the show and uh, we'll catch you next time. Thank you. Hello, Meister fans. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. And tomorrow on the show, we have Jeff Weedman, who has a very interesting background, many different careers. And right now, he's actually helping inner city kids go into the wilderness who have never seen stars before. Yeah, Jeff is a veteran in the outdoors industry, and he has a lot of really good knowledge to share. He also happens to have a fantastic voice, which would probably go toe-to-toe with Morgan Freeman if I had to guess. But anyway, Meister fans, if you like what we're doing with the show... As we've mentioned before, a couple of easy ways to help us out. First of all, please submit a review for us on iTunes. Also, if you like what we're doing, you can subscribe to the podcast and you'll get new episodes downloaded every morning. Actually, at 4 o'clock in the morning Eastern Time, I believe. 